so I think that Hegelian and Marxist dimension, for some reason, has gone missing in, in Slavoj um, in relation to particularly starting with the pandemic. Um, although I have to say that 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 he kind of acknowledged my <laughs> my uh, perspective also, and 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 he gave me some credit in in connection with my analysis of my economic analysis of the pandemic, the pandemic as a kind of monetary event rather than you know rather than an epidemiological crisis. Um, so he did recognize it, but at the same time he kind of said that I was. Um, very close to being a conspiracy theorist <laughs> and that's and that's where you know i no i i, I really I, I i i don't know what 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 to say there that you know at that level because you know conspiracy theorists my god I, i'm definitely not one you know I'm, I'm talking about capital as an impersonal machine um as a as a, as a you know impersonal drive um that is yes at the same time you can't deny that there are people driving this impersonal machine, right? And But that doesn't make me a conspiracy theorist. The death of God is about the drying up of a horizon of meaning and of a whole form of human life. Where do we stand in the illusion it makes? What kind of space are we invited into? The material relations between people become social relations between things. When we look at toasters, corn, and TVs, we don't we see... We still, to a large extent, live in the interregnum between, between worlds, if you will, or between paradigms. Not many people in the history of the world have faced that. Diet Soap is a Sublation Media podcast. My name is Fabio Vigi. I, um, I'm a, a lecturer at Cardiff University. I teach mostly film studies, but uh, also critical theory, uh, psychoanalytic theory, and I'm, I'm particularly interested in um, critical theory and uh, you know political economy. And I try to apply uh, my understanding of political economy and um, we, we, you know to today's situation. So I, I've been looking at um, what the economy means today as a discourse, um, particularly the fact that it's finance-driven, um, uh, driven by you know the, the, the finance industry uh, more and more, and what that what, what that means really uh, for the mode of production and for the societies that rely on such economy. Um, you know, this, what are the symptoms of uh, the, the crisis that we're going through at the moment? So. Um, that's briefly what I've, what I've been researching in, in, in recent years. Reading through your articles at the uh, Philosopher's Salon, I believe is yeah. where, um, I, I saw that you um, put the COVID lockdowns and the COVID pandemic um, into the context of crisis, economic crisis and financial crisis. Um, how would you explain the underlying uh, causes of the economic crisis that we've been coming in and out of, I guess, since the seventies, but certainly since two thousand eight. Would you? What would you point to to explain the, those, those crises? Yeah, I, I would point to the fact that our economy is getting um, uh, more and more um, is relying more and more on credit, 
fundamentally. Um, and this credit is um, not not the not the credit that Marx was necessarily talking about in the 19th century. This is credit that doesn't come from the real economy. Um, it doesn't come from the work society. Uh, it doesn't come from taxation. Um, um, it comes. It, it it's mouse clicked to put it simply. Uh, most of the credit that we're dealing with today, and that is causing the current um, inflationary crisis, which is a money crisis, obviously, that's how it manifests itself, is caused by the you know the avalanche of credit that has been created over the past decades and. And and this mountain of credit is what supports the real economy too. I mean, this is this is the passage that I think is crucial to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know the idea that uh, what we call the real economy, the retail economy, main street economy, uh, the labor economy, uh, where surplus value is created, um, is increasingly colonized by insubstantial credit. So by credit that is simply created out of nothing, uh, uh, literally with a click of a, of, a, of a mouse, of a computer by central banks mostly, but by banks in general. And, and this mountain of credit, uh, you know, this mass of, 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 of money supply inevitably ends up devaluing our currencies. Um, and even if, of course, it's invested in the real economy, the disproportion between the credit, the mass of credit itself, which needs to grow exponentially, and and the value that is created in the real economy grows. So the gap between the real value or surplus value extracted from labor in the real economy and the mountain of credit that is added to the system increases. Um, and that, you know, the, the, the uh, increasing of that gap uh, is what fundamentally creates um, a condition of what I call secular or structural inflation, um, or you know devaluation. It, it, now it's manifesting itself as inflation, um, but it could soon manifest itself as deflation. You know, if there's a market crash, a lot of capital will be destroyed directly on the ground. Um, with, with jobs uh, going, in closures of businesses, etc. <clears throat> That would probably bring the prices down, but but that would be a loss of value regardless. Um, it would be it would materialize as a as a the debasement of our currencies. And I think crisis for me today manifests itself fundamentally as a money crisis, right? I mean, we know that capital is is in constant state of metamorphosis. There are you know it's it's, it's a processual entity. We can think of capital in many ways, but certainly one of the ways in which uh, capital today is in crisis is, um, you know, we can we can find out by looking at, at the fact that our currencies are, are are being debased, and and this is a historical trend, you know, that, that they are being debased, uh, you know, um, through history uh, in recent decades, and I think there's a correlation between between the mass of money that has been injected into the system um, and 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 the fact that our, our our currencies are losing their value I mean this is this is not just monetary theory right because a lot of people I speak to they think oh this is this is monetary theory you know um, but, but it isn't I mean the, the problem the problem is that really we, 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 we've passed a point where 
you know, we passed the point of no return. So much money has been created. Um, and, and yes, of course, some of it goes into investment in real labor and, 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 and real growth, as it were, on the ground. But the disproportion now is such that inevitably we get uh, the devaluation of currency. Do you know what I mean? The, the, there's an ex the exponential growth of credit. And, you know, we live in a debt-based system. And, you know, this, the only solution we have now to, um, to deal with this massive debt is by creating more debt. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, or by creating more credit, depends on what, you know, which way you look at it. But basically, to increase the monetary mass, the mass of, of money that is being created, um, and and in the, and that way, capital can only can only um, you know the trajectory of capitalism can only be implosive. Uh, okay, so um, have, I, I, there's another Marxist um, who I've spoken to in the past uh, named Michael Roberts who describes the period that we've been in since the 70s up until today as either the long recession or the long depression. Um, yeah. And in the 70s, the economic crisis that arose then kind of set up the conditions of neoliberalism, which I think are defined partly by the financialization that you've been talking about, sure. um, uh, as well as, you know, <clears throat> certain kinds of trade agreements and um, deregulation um, and a variety of other things, but kind of a rolling back of the of the Fordist or welfare state approach to managing capital and and creating a, a highly financialized and state dependent form of capitalist management. Um, and you know, to last night I I was talking to my girlfriend and she was telling me that women hadn't had equal rights with men for for all that long in some ways because, for instance. They didn't have the right to to get their own credit card until 1974 in in the United States, and um, I thought about that and I kind of looked into it and I realized that the credit card itself hadn't been around for that long and it really had only been available widely in since 1966. So yeah. um, it put the whole question of like whether or not you should measure liberty. And freedom in terms of getting a credit card, you know, into question. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, my my point here is that is there something underlying the economic crisis? I mean, mm. in the real economy, that right, yeah. creates these conditions for financialization. Yeah, sure. I see what you mean. Yeah, I think that the, the from my point of view, the the, the real um, watershed moment is. The third industrial revolution uh and that's exactly in the 1970s you know even if it then materializes in the, in the 80s we can argue but it begins the 1970s and that's microelectronics that's digitization right and um and and the effect of that on on the valor the valorization of capital is immense because all of a sudden um less and less value is created out of the exploitation of labor human labor uh, precisely because machines become productive, more and more productive. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. technology becomes more and more productive. Less and less labor is employed in a, in a, in a, in a you know, is valorized in, in economic terms. So what we have is uh, more and more production, growing, growing productivity with less labor productive input, mm -hmm. right? So in, in, Mar in Marxian terms, you would say that, you know, you, you have a massive growth of, 
a constant of um, constant capital and and variable capital diminishes, um, which changes the organic composition of capital as a whole. And I, I think that is the crucial moment which determines the crisis of valorization that we're experiencing now. And neoliberalism was partly an answer to that crisis, uh, insofar as it, it, it implied precisely that financialization that you mentioned. All of a sudden, the, you know, the center of value production was no longer the factory, but it was the financial sector. And credit cards became, <laughs> became the fundamental thing. Debt became central, right? Uh, debt uh, or credit, uh, once again, compensates for the lack uh, of valorization in the real economy. Um, so, you know, we can moralize and, you know, about the, you know, neoliberalism and we should. Uh, but at the same time, I see it as a kind of imminent process within the mode of production. The moment, we, the moment capitalism cannot count on enough value created in the real economy through its original formula, which is the formula that puts people to work, essentially, in order to, mm -hmm. to extract surplus value from labor, uh, you know, that moment determines the, uh, the leap, as it were, into neoliberalism, where the financial sector becomes more and more dominant. And in the financial sector, of course, money creates money, you know, without labor, without the labor mediation. So well, you don't need... my, my understanding of the financial sector is that at base, it, what it is is constant bets on the future um, of the future ability of capital to expand how many people or how much exploitation can be gotten out of the people who are working. So you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're making a, a bet or you're loaning money to, you know, you could directly invest in, in uh, real production and then you're making a bet that way, or you could speculate or <clears throat> around. Right. And, um, so, and, it's, and yeah, so think, they're constantly think... saying, oh, well, down the road, the real economy is going to come good. back up into. That's exactly what I'm what I'm trying to say. I think that's a very good analogy there. You can think of it in terms of temporality. Mm -hmm. So the old economy based on labor, um, maybe you know we can think of value as being produced and being available from the past. It's already been realized. It's there. You can use it. You can invest it in you know to create more capital, essentially, more value. Whereas the financial in the financials in the financial in a in a finance in a finance driven economy, all of a sudden value is in the future. It's 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 an escape into the future uh, situation because, as you say, we're always um, we're always running after value that has not yet been created. Mm -hmm. You know, we're always relying on the on the, on the illusion that at some point this value that we're betting on will be created in the future right that's how the financial sector reproduces itself so you know and and but but you it, that way you also increase the potential for crisis because mm -hmm. the, the imbalance then increases the contradictions increase and as we've seen in recent decades there's one financial crisis after the other we know um that there's plenty of financial crises that effectively threaten the system with a, a market crash that would be lethal for for most of us as a matter of fact because our dependency on on um on on, on the speculative financial 
system has increased so massively in, in recent in recent years. So we're definitely in a post-Keynesian <laughs> uh, economic system that is no longer driven by um, by by the real economy, as we you know we can call it, uh, and is increasingly driven by credit and 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 credit that goes directly into the financial sector. The point, however, is that it doesn't stay there. You know, because a lot of people made the argument, yes, but you know, this this all this credit doesn't doesn't create inflation because it stays trapped within the financial speculations. Mm -hmm. The point, however, is that you know, for a while now, it's it's started to colonize the real economy. In, in other words, you get real growth, but this real growth is already some kind of hybrid uh, or hybrid growth because it's already colonized by uh, insubstantial credit that comes down from the financial sector. So, so then we get a kind of imbalance, which today manifests itself precisely as uh, the devaluation of money. And again, this is not a temporary uh, phenomenon. This is a phenomenon that is yet to stay. Uh, they sold it to us as a temporary phenomenon initially, if you remember, uh, after COVID, and uh, mm -hmm. they blamed it. They blamed it precisely. They need an enemy, and here we go back to emergencies. Why we need emergencies all the time? They need an, enem an enemy to blame all these imbalances and contradictions on. So Putin, COVID, um, and so on, there will be more. Uh, so we can externalize, you know, the, the, the problem and say, oh, it's their fault. And inflation is a, is a perfect case in point because we're saying, we're saying, oh, it's Putin's fault. You know, it's, 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 the energy, it's the energy situation that Putin caused that is now driving prices up and you know, causing this erosion of, of purchasing power. Um, just like we say, oh, it's, it's because of COVID lockdowns. And yes, partly it's because of that too. But the fundamental issue here is that we've, we've created a mechanism that inevitably leads to inflation. You know, uh, after decades of injections, monetary injections, inevitably at some point, after an incubation period, it will materialize as inflation and exactly that's that's exactly what's going on at the moment um and and you know th th there's no real solution to this that's what i'm trying to say and people are not, this is this is this is you know this is not just something that will go away very easily it will only go away um through another kind of another kind of uh, money debasement um which could be deflation but you know deflation would be very painful um, if there's a market crash and a, def and a, and a deflationary cycle, then uh, it, it, it would be even more painful than than what we have now. Um, so, you know, that's the other argument that, that we could discuss. Uh, those who are controlling the system have now cordoned themselves. You know, they've painted themselves into a corner and they don't really know how to get out of it. They don't have many, many uh, solutions. Uh, they don't have a, many ways of, of getting out of this mess that they've created. Um, and they're trying to control money, uh, the cost of money, of course, with, with interest rates, etc. But as we've seen in recent uh, months, even with uh, the banking crisis, um, just what is it, a couple of months ago, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, raising interest rates in a in a in a debt bubble, uh, in a debt crisis, will only create more pain. Um, so they have to stop at some point. They have to stop with uh, uh, hiking rates. However, if they go back to um, cheap money and quantitative easing, which mm -hmm. we know that they started in two thousand and eight, 
you know, after the great financial crisis, if we go back to that, inflation will go even higher. So in that sense, we are in a lose-lose situation in terms of uh, economic policy, monetary policy. There's not, not much we can do. At the same time, thinking of reigniting a growth cycle in the real economy is also a delusion, in my opinion, simply because with the technology we have today and the competition for that technology, less and less value-productive labor will be mobilized. I think that when we think about inflation, we tend to think in a kind of narrow way just on, on you know, the, the value of uh, our currencies, maybe in relationship to other currencies first and then in relationship right. to commodities. But I think the key is to think about um, labor, like wages, because uh, if it were the case that wages and 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 also mm. the way the, the money relates to other commodities because if it were the case okay well you know we need more money to buy the uh same commodities but everyone's getting more money right right then it it wouldn't it would equal out to the same thing it, it wouldn't yeah. really matter but it, it would be a healthy type of inflation in that case right something that right. we could deal with because wages are going up and they're matching the rate of inflation Right, but but we're not seeing that at all at the moment. We know that wages are going down, even or at least they're stagnant. Yeah, they're uh, they're, 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 they're yeah. not moving, and and that's again for an imminent uh, kind of reason. Capital or even to... even when they grow, they're not growing fast right. enough to keep up. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> so it is a labor issue. It's a, a you know labor's interests are what is are not being met, and that also means that part of the problem is that the capitalist class who are productive can't necessarily afford to hire as many people and they also right. in the really and 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 then you go in the united states to the fact that you're talking about unproductive labor to a large extent anyway you're talking about service industry yes uh and, and other kinds of uh workers who may or may not be producing value depending on how you look at it or where they are in the economy i could get nerdy and you know try to Mm. dig in to see just exactly to what degree you and I have the same vision of the economy. Yeah. But let's just agree that one of the things that are going, that's going on that is defining our politics is the fact that on a fundamental level, uh, on the level of, uh, the, of production and uh, the economy and the social relationships that set up that aspect of our everyday life, the, the, the part of our life where um, things are made that we need, you know, the, that where food is grown and commodities are produced and things go into the market and exchange between nations. All of that is in a crisis. There's a maybe it's a fundamentally a crisis of profitability as well as a yeah. inflationary price crisis. But the way in which that gets managed is a political question. It's not just a question about you know, because it's intractable, most of all, it's a political question. Like, how do we, how do we maintain the failure? Is sort of <laughs> the, the question. I think that's what it is. Yes. Yeah. I I think it's politically, it's just a matter of kicking the can down the road. That's what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. Politicians, all they they do, and that's what they hire to do. That is to kick the can down, to prolong the agony, to make sure that the system. You know, which is already a dead system in many respects, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's definitely on a downward trajectory and has been for a few years now. 
-hmm. that continues despite the fact that it's already a kind of zombie system um, for for the majority of us anyway, right? There's obviously there's a there's a, there's a you know there's a few 0.01 whatever super rich who will continue to to benefit from it, uh, and and those are those who are pulling the strings really, you know. Uh, although there's also this imminent law that I'm talking about, right? It is the mm -hmm. law of profit. And the law of profit is, and it goes together with the with the law of, of competition. You know, if you want to compete, you need to you get today, and as always, you, you need to you need to increase your investment in in in, in technology, mostly, mm -hmm. and you need to you need to drive down the cost of labor. Um, otherwise, you're out. Otherwise, you won't be able, you know, to um, to compete and therefore to make any profits. Um, the problem, I think, is also an, a kind of optical problem here because if we're thinking about sing, about individual capitals, you know, you can you can think, okay, if if I've compete, if I've invested properly in technology, if I've done all I had to do, I can I can win here in in a specific you know aspect of the market. I, I can be a winner. I can make profits, and you know my, my rate of profit might increase. The problem is that overall the total mass decreases. Because less and less value is being created by labor, and more and more value is being created through, through you know, by machines fundamentally. And this is something that Marx saw, in, you know, you know, early mm -hmm. on. Of course, the 19th century, you know, the, the, the theory, the tendency of the rate of profit to fall. Fundamentally, it's about this. Of course, it, it couldn't, it couldn't foresee the degree of automation that would kick in, you know, in in the, in the 20th century. But he had a sense that that all of a sudden we could become dependent more and more on credit or interest-bearing capital, as he calls it, you know, because of the tendency of the rate of profit to go up, to fall. Um, of course, he couldn't foresee, as I said, the, the kind of dimension of this that we're seeing now. But I think now we are fully within that um, distorted economic situation. We're more and more dependent on, 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 on mouse-clicked credit and the mountain of debt or credit is increasing all the time. Like the world, I think, has a, a 300 trillion and counting uh, debt um, to repay. Um, we're talking about, I think, 60, 640 billion in interest only for the United States, right? Only in interest to repay. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's unsustainable. Mm -hmm. It's it's a crazy mm -hmm. system. How so much? You, how many billions? I think it's 640. Oh my in interest God. only, in interest <clears throat> only, right? I mean, that's that's right. the figure I got in mind. I might be wrong, but it's around that. Mm. 640 billion in interest only to repay, right? This is this is is this a healthy economy? Is this a healthy society? No, no. We're living we're living on a kind of illusion, right? That things are working. They're not working, and it, and it's not temporary. I mean, this is really a, a kind of a gradual descent into into some kind of barbaric uh, condition that, that we haven't seen anything yet you know I don't think we've any, seen any COVID was maybe the start of, of you know the decade the decade started with COVID and then it continued with you know COVID I, I think of it as the war on on, on the war on virus uh, you know as they called it at the beginning you know and I think they were right in calling it a war because ultimately it served the purpose of a war and then we uh, continue with the hot war in Ukraine uh, and and of course we're seeing now people beginning to to protest. Uh, we've seen revolts in cities around the world. We've seen them in France recently. Mm -hmm. And I think I think this 
you know, these sort of stresses will continue to increase throughout the decade. Um, you know, I just want to I want to agree with you that you, right. you just say that it is not temporary. I mean, one of the things that we people who are <clears throat> I'm 52 people who are a little bit older can definitely easily remember the 2008 crisis. And if you just think back about how that played out, it just say, let's say through American politics, we, it took a long time for there to be, for the capitalist class to even be hubristic enough to say that we had gotten out of it. And, and, and in 2016, when Trump was elected, most of the left analysis was still thinking in terms of that being set up by the economic crisis of 2008. It was not, that was still a consequence of the unrest and the dissatisfaction that was coming out of a, a busted long-term economic crisis or busted economy. And, and then there were a couple of years, like two, three years where things seemed to kind of almost get back on their feet, sort of boom. um, And then the, then COVID hit. So, yeah. so uh, we really have yeah. been struggling along for quite a long time. Um, before you know it, will have been 20 years since yeah. 2008. Yeah. But so I just wanted to. And, and so and sorry, just to go back to your point about politicians, all all they do is, you know, all they do is tell us the war is temporary. And I've seen I've seen a pattern of this is temporary and will and it will pass. Um, I think Nixon closed the gold window in 1971, mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, the war is temporary." We, you know, it's, it's, it's just, we need a bit of money now. We need to make a bit extra money here, credit, blah, blah, blah. So we need to, we need to interrupt, we need to, you know, uh, the break with the, with the gold standard, but temporary. Um, QE was supposed to be temporary in 2008, oh, yeah. 2009. Remember? They told mm-hmm. us, no, no worries. It's just, you know, an, a, an exceptional measure that we're taking now. And then it became ontological. It became, you know, existential. If you don't do QE, you're dead. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you can't sustain the economy without QEs. And then we've seen more and more quantitative easing, more and more money pumped into the system uh, after 2008. And that has never stopped, you know. And But that is massively inflationary and fundamentally it destroys our, our real economies. That, that, that's why I'm, I'm talking about control demolition because what we're seeing now with this, inflation that is you know that is kind of being it's a management of crisis that we're talking about here the management of crisis via inflation um and inflation makes us poorer it's like an invisible tax uh, effectively um Mm. that more our purchasing power is diminishing um Mm. but of course there's for us it means something for 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 0.01 percent or it means nothing because for them you know it, it, it really is nothing um but but yeah so my ultimate point is that in, in respect of financialization of the economy is that to sustain this sort of financialization you have to demolish the real economy little by little um because if you continue to pump these amounts of money into the into the financial sector you are effectively destroying the real economy well um, i i want to ask you what you mean by um d- uh demolish the real economy because my understanding of like let's say the uh great depression was that the world war ii um uh, devalued enough capital that after that capital destruction um the, the remaining powers in capital could come in, buy up 
the assets that yeah. were still around relatively cheaply. Um, and because of that initial investment uh, being much, mm -hmm. much lower than what, what had been the case before, there was a ca capacity to produce profit even on, even with um, labor productivity still being higher than it would have been 50 years earlier you know, in the 19th century, it, it like it, despite the great technological advances and the massive amount of automated production and the, the valuation of commodities that comes along with that. And the, even so, after that massive amount of capital destruction, there could be a boom for 20, 30 years. Right. And so is that what we're talking about? Not like the complete elimination of the capitalist system, the demolition of capitalism, mm. but the demolition mm. of, yeah. Assets, capital, capitalist assets. Well, I, the way I see it, I, if you're talking about the, you know, the Great Depression and uh, you know the glorious thirty, you know the 30s, 30 years of, of economic boom, at least in the center, mm -hmm. that's what you, that's what you're referring to. Yeah. So yeah. to me, that is the last. That was the last cycle of accumulation uh, of real value creation that we saw in the history of capitalism. If you wanted to completely frank with you about it you know th that was because there you could still mobilize enough labor to produce real value in the real economy right mm -hmm. um so the cycle of accumulation was still value uh, productive uh it was a labor intensive economy um assembly line economy uh, that is gone. That with automation is wiped out, literally wiped out. There's no way, that's why I'm saying there's no way of reigniting a labor-intensive economy any longer. If, if the, if, and if there is no way of doing it, then capital will have to rely more and more on these compensatory mechanisms like credit creation programs, like quantitative easing, all these very create, creative names that actually mean pumping more money into the system because the system cannot create enough money through taxation or whatever, you know, to support itself. And I think we've passed the point of no return. We need to we need to look at capital, you know, with a historical mind, not ahistorically, you know, uh, because those crises were different. Um, the crises we see now are different from nineteenth uh, from nineteenth twentieth century, even 20th, early twentieth century crisis. Um, here we're talking about um, a bubble-to-bubble -bubble economy. You know, it's really a bubble-to-bubble -bubble economy. You cannot go back to a real accumulation in, in such a way as to drive a new cycle of real capital accumulation. You cannot do it given the current technological infrastructure, given the, the coming fourth industrial revolution, you know, artificial intelligence. That will displace more and more labor. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about value-productive labor, right? Because you can always give bullshit jobs to people, but that doesn't produce value, right, for mm -hmm. the system itself. Um, so that you know, the problem is both for labor and for capital together here. And mm -hmm. and 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 for this reason, I think capital will, ha will have to rely more. First of all, it is becoming more and more authoritarian, with a tendency to becoming totalitarian. Mm -hmm. Right. That, this is something that we yeah. can see very clearly. I think COVID is, has really. I mean, COVID, the lockdowns the itself were clearly authoritarian and, and everyone told themselves at the time, well, this is a temporary. Yes. Again. <laughs> situation. State of Just emergency. While, state of emergency. Right. We want to protect the public health. Obviously, we're not going to be locked in our homes forever. 
but you know it's as if there's a hurricane happening outside our door so we all have to go into the basement or like a a bombing you know campaign was coming so you know everyone stay indoors that was sort of the yeah. feeling at first but then it, it went on and on and it came along with a bunch of other things but i i, I want to put this in context so the idea here with with covid being part of a controlled demolition it it really sounds to me like you're saying that there's a we're moving from what i think of as capitalism itself which always has to be based on the exploitation of labor and which as a marxist i always want to overcome and transcend that system what you're saying is that capitalism itself the powers that be and the the the, the financial sector the yeah. political sector are attempting to do what the socialists could not which is to break free of the need from for the labor theory of value and create a system of government that will manage society based on automated production uh, but do it in an authoritarian political way is that i think that's that's the only way the only way to do it to manage it given this condition is to move from a liberal consumerist capitalism which you know which corresponds to the 40s period of growth up until the 70s precisely when when the 40s model production imploded um and was replaced by neoliberalism remember the inflation in the 1970s etc etc um uh, you know the shift from a liberal consumerist type of capitalism uh, based on 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 mass labor exploitation to a authoritarian hyper-financialized, debt-based type of capitalism where labor will still matter insofar as labor will continue, unfortunately, to be exploited, perhaps even more than in the past, because commodities one way or another have to be produced and machines need a bit of labor, you know, to, to produce them. And also because there has to be the illusion that this is still a labor society, you know, that, that the economy is still driven by labor but that the basis of our economy is still labor. As a matter of fact, the basis of the economy has shifted, has shifted to what once was just the appendix of the economy, and that is the financial sector. Now, that's the driver. And within, within the financial sector, the bond market is the epicenter. It's really the driver of our economy. The bond market is where debt is bought and sold fundamentally mm -hmm. right and mm -hmm. that's really the core of the financial system and 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 therefore also of the economy as such i think that shift we haven't digested yet uh that 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 shift has taken place um and my understanding is that it the reason why these economic crises emerge is because the 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 value being a measure of the socially necessary time it takes to create commodities and money being just a, 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 a an appearance of that kind of value, right? Store um, value, yeah. Runs up against a contradiction within itself because it takes less and less time to create commodities and therefore those commodities themselves have less and less value in terms yeah. of that labor time. But if yeah. you say, okay, it's an automated society and we and, and the money has no value, because it's not connected to the socially necessary labor time. Yeah. What is to stop us from, or or any political force, from saying, oh, okay, well, since we don't need to worry about, I mean, since the money is sort of made up, we'll why don't we just um, plan it out democratically, 
how we're going to produce things. Why don't we just institute socialism of some kind? And I mean, like, what what's the barrier there? What why are what? You know, that's what I'm asking. Well, the, the, the barrier is capital itself that continues to run, you know, run the show behind the scenes. You know, it's 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 money chasing money. Uh, it's a profit making uh, system that we're dealing with here. So we need to break with the categories of capital uh, in order in order in order to, uh, to you know, to, to move to a, to a post capitalist society where effectively we could have much more time for ourselves and right. spend less time working because there's no need for it anymore because machines can do most of the work, right? So we need less time spent at work and, mm-hmm. and we can free up more time for other things. Um, but the whole logic has to change, has to shift because we're still unfortunately tied to value creation. You know, even though there's a compensatory mechanism in place, the we, we, the system is still capitalist and it's still it's still based on the on the original formula of capitalism, which is money invested into labor to produce more money. You know mm-hmm. the the original uh, and so labor is still in a way the, the key ingredient for the system. Mm-hmm. However, the system is compensating for the mechanism that you just described that, that there right, is right. less and less value being created uh, through socially necessary labor. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's where we are, and we, the first the first thing we need is to become aware of this, you know, to mm-hmm. to, to, to to gain consciousness of uh, the critical awareness of this situation, um, and then hopefully we will move towards what you just described, you know, uh, yeah. a system where money doesn't have the same function as it has today. Uh, money is not there just to become more money, which is what mm-hmm. what it does in capital, but it serves mm-hmm. a different purpose. Um, labor is not just self-externalization of capital is just it's not just the moment of capital itself you know it's not the ingredient it's, it's not the, the the fundamental ingredient for for capitalist growth but it becomes something else but that requires a radical restructuring of the categories of capitalism as we know them today and i think that's the difficult step because we're still thinking you know our, the limit of, of our imagination is in a way the limit of capital itself our imagination is defined in capitalist terms and we need to go beyond that we need to find a way of moving beyond you know even the simple things even the language of capital we need to you know create a new language that reflects new needs that are not that are not the needs of capital anymore you know um, so that that i think is the big step ahead but it requires social movements that are are aware of 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 an, a contradiction that can no longer be sustained um, unless we want to you know, we we want to uh, endorse this uh, descent into into barbarism because obviously that's what what's lying ahead for us. If you enjoyed this conversation, please do consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons help to make sure that Sublation Media can continue to provide interviews, videos, books, and articles that are critical of the left from the left. If you are tired of remaining stuck within bourgeois ideologies and politics, help us sublate them both.